All right, folks, it's numero siete of TR Talk. That's episode number seven for the non-bilingual listeners. Today's guest is an amazing, amazing person, Andy Raskin, and his resume is so incredible. I just want to rattle off a few things before we dive into the interview. He graduated with a computer science degree from Yale, then he got his MBA from Wharton, and then he goes, let's see what Japan has to offer. He works for Apple in Japan, produces a couple television shows over there, and then co-founds and is the CEO of Cubiquity. And then he goes, I want another change of pace. Becomes a writer for time for eight years. Works on This American Life. And now he trains management companies. I missed a few firms you may have heard of. I don't know. Uber, VMware, Yelp. Ever heard of them? So today's episode's really fun. We get into the nuts and bolts on Andy's thoughts on how to tell stories. It's just a great episode. Want to give a quick shout out to our fan of the week, Alessia Venuto. She works at HubSpot, sits down in Australia. Thanks for the reposts, shares, and comments, Alessia. We love you. Keep doing it, girl. And guys, want to let you know that this is just the first of many interviews we're doing in October. We have seven more this month, so don't go anywhere. Buckle up, turn the volume up, and enjoy this interview with Andy Raskin as we go into his office in San Francisco. This is Ryan Warner with my co-host Tom Alamo with TR Talk. Out. Welcome to another episode of TR Talk. This is Ryan Warner. I'm here with my co-host, Tom Alamo. All right. Welcome to the show, folks. Today, we have Andy Raskin. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks. Thanks. Really excited to have you. Now, as much as Tom and I would like to dive into the nuts and bolts on your theories about creative storytelling, you had a really unique career trajectory. So I'd love to spend just a few minutes on how you went from Yale to working at Apple in Japan to co-founding a couple companies um, and to ultimately you know, working with some of the top VC firms in Silicon Valley now. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know if we'll, uh, we have time for me to talk about all those transitions, but uh, uh, one thing that, is, that was really, uh, really, that, that happened that kind of, I think, set me on the trajectory toward this was, uh, you know, I came out of college with a, a computer science degree, so I was a programmer, yeah. and uh, went to business school, and a friend and I had an idea for an app, so this is like dot-com years, you mm-hmm. know, the Windows app that we thought could be a business, and so we coded it, and uh, of the two of us, I spoke English natively, he, he was uh, Japanese, so uh, I wrote the business plan, and we uh, sent it to some VCs, and the reaction was really bad, and uh, one of them uh, wrote back to me, Andy, uh, you're, we, we rate every business plan we get on a scale of one to 10, and yours is a one. And, oh, and, and this then is in he, college? No, no. This is uh, this was a few after. This okay. was uh, a, a, even after graduate school. But uh, and uh, and and then he wrote next to the one he wrote uh, in parentheses worst in case we thought one was the top. You know, just, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. Uh, and then he wrote something else. He wrote uh, not a compelling story, and I didn't really pay much attention to this until it was like a few weeks later. I was living in New York and. Uh, I was walking by this big uh, Barnes and Noble. It's on the Upper West Side, and there was a big sign in the window. It said, "For anyone who wants to tell a compelling story." And, okay, that's us. Yeah. And there's an arrow to this pile of books that are all screenwriting books. And I knew nothing about this, but figure, okay, nothing to lose. So I buy these books and read most of them that night. And I think, okay, what if we 
redo our plan, kind of our pitch based on kind of what they're talking about. And we sent it to some new VCs, and the reaction was very different. We started getting invited to pitch. The pitches started going better. Wow. And we had a term sheet uh, about four or five months later from some pretty good VCs. Wow. And that really, really kind of blew my mind. Like, what is the story thing that we never really learned about? And, um, and uh, over the years, uh, other founders started talking to me about you know, they knew about this experience and they would ask for help sometimes. And then uh, a few years ago, I started getting these kinds of uh, inquiries from, from like growth stage companies yeah. where they had some success, um, often like kind of the brute force of the founders, but they were now looking to scale. Mm -hmm. So hiring lots of salespeople, lots of marketing uh, product. And they realized, wow, we, we really got to get, if we can get clear on this story, uh, it's going to impact uh, our growth. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be the key to, uh, you know, if you look at sales velocity, you know, what is that equation? It's opportunities, it's, uh, you know, win rate, it's deal size and sales cycle. And all of those levers are really pulled by, by a great story. Mm. Um, so that's why I started the practice about okay. three years ago. Uh, and th that's what I do today is most of my work is with uh, these kind of growth stage companies, leadership teams, CEO and the uh, senior execs where we're uh, getting clear on the story. Okay. That's going to power their growth. And what would you say popped out to you that night in, in the Upper yeah. West Side when you were reading those books? What was the aha uh, uh -huh moment? Well, it's really the transition that I think I work with with a lot of the teams, which is going from we're talking about our product, we're talking about the thing. Yeah. to uh, talking about uh, what is the story that wh what is the story that our customer is experiencing in their life meaning you know in, in movie terms like what's the change that's happening that kicked off all the action you know mm -hmm. every movie has this uh, moment in the beginning so you know in Star Wars uh, you know Darth Vader shows up and starts doing bad things you know that yep. sort of kicks off yeah. all the action um, in a in a romantic comedy, you know, the, the couple meets for the first time and this sort of kicks off all this, you know, all this action. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at really the great company stories too, there's some change uh, that they're pointing to uh, that kind of is, is uh, forcing customers to adapt in some way. It's creating states for them. It's, it's meaning, it means it's creating opportunity for them and it's creating a lot of risk for them. Okay. Uh, and the great, I think, uh, company stories lay this out before they even talk about anything about their product. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's great. And so I think, um, and we were talking about this a bit a minute ago before we started recording, and, and how Ryan and I uh, found out about you is from your pretty famous article uh, titled, the, the Best Sales Deck I've Ever Seen. Um, and I would imagine that a lot of our audience members have probably read it, but if they haven't, I'd love for you to dive into that. You get into really some tactical advice as to um, how folks can and, and companies can create that strategic story and how that can help drive their, their company forward. So, Yeah, that article started because I was working with a team, uh, uh, leadership team, uh, growth stage, start, stage startup, and the head of sales said to me, Andy, you know, this, this framework you've got, it, it really reminds me of the, the way we used to tell the story at my old company. And, and, and by the way, at that company, it was, it was like Nirvana being a salesperson there because 
marketing was telling this story, our CEO was telling this story, it was all about this change, and the, you know, all. and that turned out to be Zwara. And he shared the, the Zwara sales deck with me, and I saw that, wow, this, this was the best I had ever seen at laying out the story, kind of like the way that I was seeing in those screenwriting books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, in that piece, I really just dived into you know what what is that structure and how did how does Ward do it where they're uh, they're, they're telling a story in that way? Yeah, and I know Tom and I have really dissected that into a, a manageable framework that we use. I know you mentioned that story needs to come from the CEO, but we've adopted a little bit of it ourselves. But could you go into the elements of it, such as the change, the promised land, the magic gifts? Really get into the nuts and bolts of that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, and you know, every company's every every time I work with a team, it, it never comes out exactly in this order, exactly this way. But you know, the basic building blocks we want to get in place is, yeah, what is this change in the world that's creating stakes? You know, in in Zwar's case, they say, hey, we've moved from a world of we're buying one-off products, you know, cars, DVDs, whatever, to we're now going to be uh, in this subscription economy. We're mm -hmm. going to be subscribing to everything, having these always-on relationships. And they're, so, so they start with this change that is gonna, gonna create, uh, means you're gonna have to act differently. That you know, your systems and the way you work is, was all geared to this old world. Now we're gonna have this, this new world. Okay. Um, and, and they then lay out, well, what are these stakes? Meaning, who's, gonna, who's winning and who's losing? Uh, there's lots of ways to lay out the stakes. This is one sure. of them. Um, and they show that, wow, look, all, all these companies that are dying, they're kind of the product companies. And all yeah. the companies that are uh, high-flying, doing well, even the incumbents, like companies like GE, IBM, that are uh, starting to thrive again, uh, are all shifting to this services subscription economy. So they're showing these winners and they're showing these losers, right? Um, and, and then they kind of name this promised land. So, you know, in the in, in every movie, uh, the promised land. What what I call the promised land in mo yeah. movie in movie like movie critics or uh, narrative theorists will sometimes call it uh, the point of no return. Which means in a in a good way. Like so, in Star Wars, you know, the first one, the uh, the New Hope, Episode Four. If they can defeat the Death Star, then game over. They won happily ever after. Right. Um, for the usually in the romantic comedy, if they can get married, it's yeah. game. You know, not yeah. in real life. In real life, <laughs> you can return from that, but uh, not in a romantic comedy. You, it's it's happily ever after, right? At least <clears> most <throat> of them. Uh, and in the same way, Zora names this state. They say, "Hey, if you can deliver the subscription experience," yeah. uh, and they kind of define what this is, uh, then uh, you it's happily ever after for you. They then go on to to sit to the, now they're okay now they've got this promised land set up now they're going to explain of course how they're going to help you get there, and this is now where we're going to start we can now start talking about the product, but we do it in a way where we're talking about how it's going to help the customer get over obstacles to that promised land. So the ideal promised land has two qualities: uh, it's desirable, obviously, and it's hard to get to. Yep. Without you and without you know without anything even with alternatives mm -hmm. right and so uh, you know for them crafting this this uh, 
subscription experience means that there are a lot of hard new things you're going to have to do that weren't true in the old product world. Oh, and then every time they do a demo or they talk about their features, they're always talking about in terms of, well, how are we getting you over those obstacles to this, uh, to be able to deliver this subscription experience? Yeah. Um, and then the last piece is just, um, you know, even if you've laid it all out, audiences are going to be skeptical. You know, prospects yeah. are going to be skeptical. They're going to want to know, you know, well, why should I believe you that you can really get me to that, this, this, difficult to reach promised land. Yep. And so you want to show them uh, evidence and, and the best evidence obviously is uh, the story about someone who's like them, who yeah. you already got to the promised land. So yeah. a success story about someone like them. Yeah, and I'd love to hear you talk too, to um, you know, your current role where you're advising companies on how to make that transition and, and some of the struggles that I would imagine that you face either if the CEO might be product focused and uh, kind of hesitant to change or trying to work with sales and marketing and product all in the same message or, or any kind of pushback you get from that and how you, how you cover that. Well, you know, in order for me to work with a leadership team, the CEO is the one who has to call me in. And yep. so uh, okay. it has to, and, and, and there are definitely CEOs who this is not their thing. Like they yep. don't think this is, they, they yeah, let's just, um, um, someone else can do this. The product marketing will build the story, right. uh, or some, or marketing will build the story. And my um, belief about this is that this is really the CEO's job. I mean, marketing has a huge role to play. Product marketing, of course, does too. Uh, sales and product. So when I work with teams, it's where the CEO uh, kind of sees the world this way, mm. and where uh, that said. I'm always asking the CEO to create a kind of, well, I'll call, I call it usually the story group where, or story team, where we'll have the people like you're talking about, like VP of uh, product, head of sales, head of marketing, yep. uh, the people who need to be in the room to, to, to craft this story. And they're all giving their input as to what these story elements are. Yeah. And, you know, my role is, is uh, in addition to obviously bringing the framework, is uh, how do we get all these di different opinions about this into one uh, cohesive one? Yeah. And obviously the CEO has a huge role to play there because the CEO really is the only person, you know, he or she is the only person who has really the authority to yeah. to make those calls because a story, if it's if it's a really good story, then it, and, you know, it's, it's made some strategic choices yep. and hard choices. <laughs> Yeah. And only the CEO has the ability to, and the authority really to do that. Yeah. One well, a key part of the framework you're talking about is when you start to get to the, the customer solution, or excuse me, the client solution. Um, and you, you wrote a post that said, introduce the solution as a question. And that was really interesting to me because it really takes the edge off of them. And so could you speak to that a little bit for folks who aren't familiar? Yeah, it's really the promised land message. Okay. Uh, so, uh, whereas, so for instance, with Zwara, if their promised land message was something to the effect of, uh, you know, deliver the subscription experience, you know, then if, if you're pr presenting to a client, I, I don't know if Zwara ever did this, but uh, it, it, what if you said instead, what would it take? So, you know, so, so we thought about, so we thought about this changed world and all these stakes and we thought, what would it take to deliver the subscription experience? You know, and so if you, if you phrase it like that as a question when you're pitching, then 
uh, it, I found that it has this effect of almost like in, inviting the people you're, you're talking to uh, on a journey with you, yeah. uh, as opposed to saying, hey, here's what we've got, take, you know, and, and almost inviting attacks. Yeah. So this quest, question format, uh, it just, some, there's something really good about it <laughs> that, I, okay. that I see happen almost every time. Uh, because it, it starts them thinking, well, what are the answers? What, it starts them thinking along with you for answers rather than uh, trying to poke holes maybe in some assertion that you're giving to them about, hey, here's, here's the solution. And so I'd, I'd love to like take this very situationally or, or very tactically and let's just say you know, I'm a CEO of a company, of Tom's company, and you're working with me and you know, I'm all bought in on your message and we're working alongside the teams. Like, how, are, how am I... Uh, judging success like three months down the line six twelve is it like purely how sales are doing or there's so many other variables i'm just curious on that well obviously the story you know plays in in such a big way you know yeah. I, like i said it's all these levers of growth right yeah. um one way that i see it happen that i see it uh very quickly um have some ROI in is sales cycle duration, mm -hmm. uh, especially in uh, you know sort of enterprise sales uh, yeah. situations. You know we're really talking about how quickly are people going to get it, how quickly are they going to be able to spread it around their team and you know the message around their team and and uh, and get to a point where they're ready to sign. Um, so that's that's one place. Um, you know, there's this great. Um, negotiation book uh, called Never Split the Difference mm -hmm. by Chris Voss. Mm -hmm. Have you guys seen it? Yeah. I've seen you reference it several okay, times. Yeah. So, uh, this is the greatest book. <laughs> I, I just love this book. Okay. And um, the reason I love it is because um, so Voss was the top FBI hostage negotiator for many years as I understand it. He yeah. uh, would be the person where if some you know crazy person somewhere in the world kidnaps four Americans, going to kill them unless you give me $50 million, yep. uh, they send Voss. And it's a great job. That wow. I don't know about great, but, but pretty cool job. Heavy job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is why he, his book title is so great. You know, he can't, he can't say, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you 25 million and win, uh, win. you can take two, you can take two of them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, you know, and, and so Virtually every time he was able to get the captor down to some sort of token, like market amount that these things sort of typically got solved for yeah. uh, and get the people out. And he went through all of the negotiations uh, over the years and all the transcripts. And he found that there was this one moment when the deal always happened. And it was right when the negotiator would say to the captor, back to them, their own story. So they'd say to them, okay, so just let me see if I have this right. So, you know, your cause is being disrespected in this way or this way. And, you know, the United States is at fault in this way and this way. Um, and you have to say it in a, in a kind of non-judgmental way. Mm -hmm. um, and if the captor would say, yes, that's right, this would seem like a small thing, but this is the moment everything turns. And if you think about it, what we're doing when we're setting up the when we're setting up the pitch, uh, the way that we're talking about here is we're really saying back to the client, the customer, their own story. We're saying, hey, this has happened. This big event happened in your life. This is what you're facing at stakes. This is what you want, Promised Land. Um, okay. And if if we start, 
we want to see the, the prospects start shaking their head, yes. And sometimes we even literally hear, that's right. Um, we want to, if we're not seeing that, then few possibilities. One is that we didn't get, we don't have the story correct yet. Mm-hmm. Um, one is that they're not a great prospect. In, in, in a way, it's a kind of qualification test, right? Yeah. You know, if, if, we've, if we've seen the that's rights over and over with people who are good prospects yep. and we're not seeing it here, well, what's going on there? And then we have a chance to find out. That's an easy way to call them out early in yeah. the because if they're not yeah. buying buying the story, the philosophy you're bringing to the table, why spend the wheels? Yeah, I mean, if you can't get a that's right or some version of yeah. that from them when you've presented change, stakes, promised land, I would not go further. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I would find out what's what's going on there before you dive into anything else. Which can be yeah. a win for sales. I mean, That's the true. worst thing is maybe you're a stalled deal. Time right? is, yeah. is the most valuable get asset. In, get out. And and so I'm I'm curious too, and we haven't haven't talked about this yet, but this is a lot uh, seemingly for a corporate message. Have you seen this storytelling help people in their personal brand building, or say if they're interviewing for a job or anything like that? Or have you seen that connection yet? Yeah, so I have uh, I teach a class at uh, General Assembly in San Francisco once a month, and it's called Storytelling for Success. And a lot of founders and marketers, uh, uh, salespeople come uh, partly because they've read th- these articles, but also people come from you know General Assembly is, attracts a lot of people who are just interested in building their skills, and so there's always okay. a few people who are there who are just interested in building their personal brand or how do I tell my story better for an interview, and it's really you know a lot of the same it's the same framework you know uh, you're you're interviewing for a job uh, rather than just well here's my I have this skill I have this skill can you talk to that person that you're interviewing with about hey what's changing in their world uh, mm-hmm. what's at stake for them. Um, you know what's the promised land they want to get to? If you could, if you can articulate that kind of story and get a that's right from a from a uh, some a, a recruiter, wow, yeah. I think you're you're in pretty good shape. <laughs> yeah, you know, interesting. Well, well, I know we're uh, we're buttoning up against the top of the hour here. Um, I had just a couple quick hitting questions, not yeah. real in depth, but um, one of mine is: Did you ever get to work with Steve Jobs when you were an intern at Apple? Did you ever see him interact with him? I did not. So I was in. I was in. I was at Apple in Japan. Right. And it was also after he. It was in the. I think it was the Gil Emilio years. So mm. he wasn't. He wasn't at the company at that. It was a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Had to ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that I I'd, I'd love to get some clarity on too. Going back to the first few minutes of when you're talking that, um, you know, you're focused on this app company and looked at the screenwriting uh, books that helped you kind of spark that inspiration how what would you advise to someone that's a young professional that you know for someone that may be in sales or marketing on really just testing the waters and markets and, and ideas that they're not even focused on like screenwriting or you know something in nature or music that can help them draw inspiration to what their their passion is yeah I mean for me uh, that that interest uh, you know reading those books uh, it was like realizing, you know, I had been a coder, and yeah. so it was like realizing, wow, there's this kind of code mm-hmm. to the way stories work and the way that we uh, make decisions and understand things. So there was this real interesting overlap, uh, and it really took me, uh, I wound up, after reading those books, getting into storytelling, I wound up producing stories for, uh, 
for NPR for uh, more yeah. uh, All Things Considered and then uh, This American Life yeah. and wound up writing in magazines. And then for a brief time, I was actually an, I was an editor at Time, Inc. Uh, I got so into it. Um, you know, I would say whatever your passion is, uh, you know, pursue that. And then you start to see these connections. Yeah. Uh, and and don't, um, uh, don't overlook them. Don't, uh, don't uh, minimize them. Mm-hmm. Because there can often uh, bring a kind of new energy to what you're doing and new perspective. Uh, certainly that, that happened for me. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. And the last one for me is you've had an incredible career, done a ton of different things. What's something you would tell your 25-year-old self? Well, my 25-year-old self was, um, was producing uh, Japanese TV game shows. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so uh, I and, and, and always was worried, I think, like, where am I going from here? How's this going to work out? You know, because um, I'm not Japanese, so uh, this is not going to, I probably don't have a huge career in this. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, if you just sort of, you know, it's, if you just sort of keep following your interests, okay. uh, they, they don't always lead you to great uh, place. But I think uh, even though, even if it's a worse place, uh, maybe it takes you to somewhere where then, where then you can take off and, and, and find something that, that you really love. Uh, you know, the work that I do now, I draw on everything I ever learned. You know, even those Japanese TV game shows was, uh, you know, I learned about how to edit and put together a story. And uh, I learned a lot from, from uh, great editors, uh, great um, writers. And all of that comes into play in the work that I do today. Wow. That's awesome. And, and one more for me is, You've been given some great advice, I think, to the listeners um, from your experiences. What's one piece of bad advice that you hear um, in your line of work or, or that you hear consistently? I think a lot of pitch advice mm-hmm. st- is start with the problem. Okay. And it's not always wrong, but I, I, I think that um, if you just start with the problem, then it's not very uh, clear why solving that problem matters. Mm. Uh, it might be to someone who directly is experiencing it and you know, feels that pain. But a lot of people you're pitching to uh, are not that person. Or they're, you know, you're pitching to that person, but then they're going to have to take the story to their higher-ups or other people and explain why this thing matters. Yeah. And uh, if you just give problem-solution then you're not giving them much to go on. Yep. Uh, so I like to look at it differently, which is change, stakes, promised land, obstacles. Yeah. Great. That's great. That's awesome. So. Well, this has been a, this has been a real pleasure, Andy. Uh, just last thing is, where can they find you? I know you mentioned you hold some workshops. Um, where can they find you to engage with you? Um, social media anything yeah. yeah oh yeah so I invite everyone to anyone to connect with me on LinkedIn and that's where I'm always posting uh, articles roughly every couple of weeks about this stuff yep. I teach the GA class once a month okay. in San Francisco I taught it in Boston recently um, so and there, it was sold out so we may do take it on the road to some other cities okay. um, and then uh, for you know the kind of consulting and, and training I do with uh, larger teams uh, 
it's uh, just go to my, my website, andyraskin.com, and, okay. uh, and good place to connect. Thanks again, guys. We'll be on next week with a new guest. All right, guys, episode seven in the books. I, I got to tell you, Andy was an incredible guy. I, I actually felt like I was getting smarter just by being in his presence uh, in that room for, for so long. Um, the guy was awesome. So, guys, hope you enjoyed it. We love the support that we've been getting so far, the likes, the comments, the shares. Uh, as Ryan would say, it is our oxygen. We love it. Uh, please, please keep it up. If you found any value here, throw us a share. Throw us a like. Send this to your mom. Send this to your grandma. I'm sure they're going to love it too. So we appreciate it. Keep sharing the love. An iTunes review. You can talk about how handsome we are. You can talk about the great content. Uh, you could say pretty much anything you want. Uh, make fun of me if you want. But an iTunes review would be really helpful. So please enjoy. And like Ryan said, we got some more coming. So buckle up your helmet because uh, we're rolling forward into October and the end of the year. Mm.